0: By the end of this podcast, you'll understand the reality of Man City's midfield crisis and who the real weak link at Man United is. Welcome to The Knobcast, a podcast giving City and United fans their weekly fix of football analysis and debate with a focus on banter rather than bias. In today's instalment, Man City losing against Wolves. What was the reason for it? Is it due to uh, the lack of uh, midfielders currently at the club compared to uh, last season? Uh, What was the tactical reasons for why we lost? Uh, Manchester United. Who who is the re actual weak link at Man United? What is the reason? Uh, what what is the reason why why they lost uh, against Palace? after beating them in the League Cup, and we'll be also be looking ahead to City against Arsenal. And you know this midfield crisis. What is the explanation for it? And do we actually need to be uh, concerned about it as Man City fans? Ordinarily, I would be joined by my Man United co-host uh, Gasky um, to discuss, obviously, all things Man United. Gasky is currently on holiday in Scotland, so he's not going to be able to do the podcast uh, today. So I will be discussing both the City and United games uh, solo on my own. I'll be giving some time to the League Cup games, but only a couple minutes. Realistically, the main talking points are uh, the Premier League games, uh, particularly the City versus Wolves game, and that is exactly where I want to start with Manchester. City. Obviously, the main talking point from the Newcastle game in the League Cup, from my perspective, was Calvin Phillips. Basically, as as far as I'm concerned, he doesn't have a genuine future at Man City. He's not a realistic uh, option uh, for Manchester City uh, going forwards. So that's the main talking point for me. Apart apart from that, look, was it upsetting and annoying to lose the League Cup game against Newcastle? Sure. But at the same time, we... Um, would have been knocked out in the quarterfinals anyway, probably because we'd have to have played a heavily rotated side uh, uh, due to the Club World Cup happening in Saudi Arabia. So it's not too big of an issue uh, in the League Cup. Um, As I say, the main talking point being that Calvin Phillips not really good enough, probably. The Wolves game, though, is a really interesting one. Now, that team should have been good enough to win the game. Let's make no mistake about it, that the, the team that Pep, Pep put out should have been good enough and was good enough to get a victory against Wolves. I will be talking about why that didn't happen momentarily, but there are some mitigating circumstances. I feel like there's been this really overstated reaction to um, to this uh, City loss, but primarily by City fans. Fundamentally, I'm, I'm going to sort of look, at, try to look on the bright side right now and get into the mitigating circumstances before then. Discussing the game itself. In the first instance, we are still top of the table. Let's not forget that. Uh, Secondly, the midfield crisis, and it's sort—it sort of is a crisis in a way. But I feel like it's much more short-term than people are making out. Let's think about it this way: if you think about City's best starting eleven. Last season, and you particularly think of the box midfields that we had because we play, we played, you know, like whatever you want to call it, a, a 3 4, 3, a, a 3 2, 2, 3, whatever. We had, we had to be basically on, with the ball four midfielders. Those four midfielders were Rodri, John Stones, who progressed from centre half or inverted from right back. So Rodri, John Stones, Gunduan, Kevin De Bruyne. Now, you may notice something about all four of those names. None of them are available right now. Gunduan's in Barcelona. Rodri suspended, Stones injured, De Bruyne injured. So literally our best mid, what you would define as our best midfield from last season, none of it was available against Wolves. That, that's the first thing I want to say. And Rodri will be coming back after the Arsenal game. De Bruyne will be back in the new year. Stones is back in training with City. Sadly, Gundogan's not coming back. Um, <laughs> but Bernardo might play more uh, in, in that area. And he's just, just come back into training as well. We're also without Bernardo, so agreeable is Only just come back to fitness, so there are lots of mitigating circumstances in respect of personnel. Um, now, you know, would we win that game if Rodri was there? Would we win if Stones was there? That we'll get into whether whether that was the case. But any team without their first choice, any of their first choice midfield, um, would be struggling. Let 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 let's not try to dress up as anything other than that. It's a totally different midfield from last season. The, the second. Uh, thing about the game and, as I say, the mitigating circumstances. I don't like to talk about refereeing performances. I won't won't get too caught up on this because I don't like to use it as an excuse because City just weren't good enough to win the game overall. However, it's pretty hard to ignore the fact that we should have been against 10 men for 45 minutes for the entirety of the second half. Huang should have been sent off for that uh, challenge on Walker. should have been a second yellow card. There is no doubt in my mind that had that been a... Had Huang not been booked, there is no doubt in my mind the referee gives a yellow card. There's this sort of weird blurred line of referees not wanting to, uh, they, they sort of want to have a higher bar for a second yellow card, which isn't, that there's nothing in the rules for that. So that, that for me, that, that was just a mistake Huang should have been sent off. And, you know, uh, coincidentally, he happened to score the goal as well, which ultimately won Wolves the game. So as I say, uh, before... That it wasn't a great performance. I'm going to get into the performance now, but I, I just really want to add the context and the background of the squad issues at City, particularly in the midfield, and also the, the refereeing controversy, you might say. I, I thought the referee had a poor performance, not just in respect of that one. Again, I, I think we could have played another 90 minutes and we wouldn't have scored uh, a, another goal, but it, we, there should have also been more extra time at the end of the game. Not relevant, That that's just a minor gripe that I've got. Now, getting into the game, this was a really, really bad performance from City. There has not been a game this season in the Premier League that City have not deserved to win, in my opinion. Every other game, we've created numerous chances, not just chances, big chances. And we've deserved to win the game, absolutely dominated the opposition in terms of possession, dominated the opposition respective chances. Uh, uh, created big chances created and uh, uh, big chances conceded every single game this is the only one where we have not actually created one big chance in the game if you even think about our goal it is a very low probability free kick a fantastic free kick by julian alvarez obviously unbelievable ball striking ability on alvarez but it's not actually it's not technically a chance we've created oscar bob gets fouled on the edge of the box and it's a world class free kick that more often than not will not go in. So it's, it as far as I'm concerned that's not actually a, a, an actual chance created. But it may actually be more for me anyway, more of a defensive issue. Because even if City don't create a big chance, we do have the players like Alvarez. Uh, obviously not on the pitch, but you know, like De Bruyne, or like Rodri, or like or like Hall and who can score a very low probability chance because that's the quality of our players. So if you keep it tight, you keep a clean sheet. There's always a chance that you can score a world class finish like Alvarez did. But the fact is that defensively, we in in the key moments we were really poor, and it's such a shame because Wolves were not great. I don't think they, this is not. I don't want this to be revised as this sort of like, you know, really bold, fantastic Wolves performance. Wolves did enough defensively, but in terms of like from a threat perspective, they hardly offered anything. They had one shot on target and they scored two goals. The issue was that Ake had a bad game for the first time in maybe two years. For the first goal, yes, Foden should do better. He's he's out of position. I don't really know why he's on the left in that instance. But Foden should do better to track back. Absolutely. But the main critique is, Ake gets his foot in, but he just doesn't make proper contact. And it's sort of like a half assed a a tackle challenge thing. So he commits himself. And if you commit yourself, you've got to win the ball. You've got to take away from the opposition, but he only half takes away from Neto and then Neto Neto just runs back onto it. Neto then crosses it and it takes a really unfortunate deflection off Diaz, goes in the back of the net. Um, That actually came about from uh, Kovacic uh, giving the ball away uh, as well. There was another instance uh, later in the game where again, Kovacic caught on the ball, gives it away. We'll get onto the Kovacic issues in a moment. And then for, for the for the second Wolves goal as well, again, it's I think Ake should do better to close down uh, the cross. Diaz does well to get uh, his body in the way and his, his block, unfortunately, happens to fall to a Wolves player. And this is what I mean by not... I don't really have any doom and gloom about the game really because on another day even without the refereeing situation that we've discussed and even without the squad issues uh, that, that I've discussed, Diaz blocks that uh, cross from Neto for the first one and it goes behind for a corner. Diaz blocks that shot from the Wolves player and it goes out for uh, a corner or another City player clears it. It just so happened that on that day it happened to go in the, It happened to be an own goal. It The second one happened to fall to a Wolves player who then passed it to another Wolves player who then scored. So, that coupled with the bad overall performance from City just made it worse than it was, I think. As I say, on another day, I think that we we get away with them and as City fans, we look at it and we say, oh, well, that wasn't great. But hey, it, you know, we, we still got the win. That's what matters. We chalk it off as a bad performance. It's just it's just a bit of a blip sort of like the. Uh the, the I think it was the Leicester game last season, really similar circumstances where we didn't really create that much. Holland wasn't on the pitch if memory serves, but De Bruyne scores a world-class free kick, but we kept it high to the back. So we win 1-0. That, that game, I feel like, just like went to the annals of history. No one really remembers it. But this is sort of a similar situation where Leicester didn't really create that much, but we scored a world-class free kick, and that was the end of it, and we move on. City with the ball now. Really careless. In possession, Kovačić had to play as a sort of Rodri because Rodri was obviously suspended. He's got one more game to serve in his suspension, so Kovačić had to try to be that. At six, he seemed a bit too eager to progress the ball forwards for me. Too many times he was trying that Hollywood ball to haul, and he was always trying to find him. And the the point of Rodri's role is that he knows when to pick and choose those moments. Obviously, it's not going to be easy for Kovačić because that's not his, you know, that's not his role, that's not his position. But too often he was trying to. He is much more of a progressive type player, Kovačić, and too often was he trying to force the play when really the best thing to do would have been to uh, pause, take a moment, recycle the play. Nunez got hooked at halftime. And I don't really agree with this sentiment that Nunez was bad in the first half. To be honest, I thought I thought he was much better than Kovačić. I thought Kovačić was arguably our worst player. I thought Nunez was actually all right. People say the occasion got to him, but I thought he was doing fine. He was winning. He was winning fouls. Um, he, he should have drawn a couple of yellow cards for sure. I, I, I thought he was fine. To be honest, was he great? No, but I thought he was fine. I think that unless there was an injury situation, if anything, you should have taken Kovačić off at halftime, kept Nunez on. Yeah, so, so that happened. We'll get on to his replacement in a moment. Uh, Foden and Alvarez. Look, Alvarez, is, we've spoken about this on the podcast before. Alvarez is not a midfielder. He can definitely do that role. He's, he will definitely get better in that 8-10 hybrid role. But in these games especially, when you need, when you really need your midfielders to uh, take it tightly in possession and unlock defence and you are, that's basically all you can rely on. Alvarez is not the player who's going to do that, uh, t- to be honest. He thrives in different circumstances. And he re- I think he really struggled today. Uh, Foden also struggled. But well, I think the main reason why Foden struggled is basically because we focused so much of our play down our left-hand side. And this is where we, we're going to talk about Doku as well, because Doku tried. He he kept trying to do things. He kept trying to take on his man. His end product was just abysmal, to be honest, uh, against Wolves, which is a shame. It's probably As I say, I'm not going to have a go in for trying, but every time it got to him, his crosses just weren't good. His passes weren't good. His final take on or dribble just wasn't good. But yeah, I don't know why we were so insistent on forcing it down the left-hand side. And the other issue, we've spoken about Ake's issues off Uh, Sorry, uh, defensively. There was also uh, an offensive issue from Ake because I don't know whether Ake can play the same way with Grealish as he does with Doku. It was great last season when Grealish was on the pitch because Grealish thrives when he has an overlapping player. So, you know, whether that's uh, Ake, uh, Laporte, or, you know, even like, you know, Foden or Bernardo Silva uh, assisting him on that left-hand side, whatever. And that, that Ake last season was fantastic at providing that support from, from the, you know, the left-centre-half overlapping a role that he provides. Doku is sort of, he's not the opposite, but in terms of the strategy which would have worked against Wolves, that's not what's required. If you think about the West Ham game, and you think about how Doku Destroyed Soufal uh, over at West Ham's right back over and over and over again. Why now ask yourself, why was he able to do that? He was able to do that because Doku is a 1v1 specialist. Put him 1v1 against a right back, more often than not, he will win that battle. He will win that that dribbling duel, if you will. The ish and and, and the reason why it worked against West Ham, now, again, why did he have all that space? It was because Bugarinol, who was the left back, the left side centre half that day, was playing very narrow. What now? What did that do? That's called overloading to isolate. That's where you you play most of your uh, you, you quote overload. You basically pack your side of the pitch onto uh, you pack your players onto one side of the pitch. In this case, the right or the middle, wherever, which drags. Opposition players, in that case, West Ham players, it drags them to all the other bodies. And then what you do is you leave one player on the other side, in this example, the left side, to then be isolated one-on-one. And then you predict, then you do a switch. Suddenly, your left wing is one-on-one with the right back, and you're in. And we kept doing that over and over and over again against West Ham because Gavardio's positioning meant that he was dr- uh, basically acting like a magnet, magnet dragging... The West Ham uh, players over to him, leaving Doku one on one with Soufal. Ake did the opposite of that. He maintained his high and wide position. What did that do? It meant another Wolves player was dragged closer to him, which meant that Doku, when he was getting on the ball, he was he wasn't he didn't it wasn't a one v one situation. There was a another Wolves player supporting him, so. I don't really know why we did the exact opposite of what we did against West Ham when it clearly worked so well. I don't know if that's just because Ake has been instructed to do that. I find that hard to believe. Is it just because Ake wasn't quite switched on, wasn't quite aware of what he was being what he was expected to do compared to say Gavardio? I'm not sure. But I think if Gavardio was on the pitch, that's probably not so much of an issue because Gavardio has already demonstrated that he's aware of the strengths of the overload to isolate and leaving Doku. 1v1. But because of that, Doku was less. It wasn't optimized. He was less efficient. And he was less functional uh, in that role. And combine that with the fact that we forced all the play down the left-hand side, or, or force it so much. I can't remember, recall the exact step. I believe around 60% of our play was forced, was played down the, the left. it play, was played down the left. And he, and even when Doku was moved over to the right in like the last 10 minutes, it's still 60% on the left. So that just goes to show that there was not enough. There was was too much focus on the left and not enough on the right. Now, which in turn meant that Foden didn't have the best game. Not trying to create an excuse for Foden, but it is a reality that if you have less of the ball, there's only so much you can do. If you're a right central midfielder and most of the players going down the left-hand side, asking for the ball is only going to do so much. At the end of the day, you do need to have the ball in the right areas. You do need to be found. Now, maybe Foden could have done more to be found, but I do have some sympathy for him in that respect. I've also got a lot of sympathy for Erling Haaland. The, the, the segments of our fan base who try to say, oh, you know, what's he doing since it's not scoring to the So what do you want him to do? If he's not getting any service, literally, what do you want him to do? Give him service and he will show you exactly how good he is. He's not the sort of player who's going to thrive without service. He's never going to be that. He never has been that. He he just needs, he needs to be given the chances, even if it's only a half chance and he'll have a decent chance of putting it in the back of the net, so I I don't want this idea of you know Halland ha- you know uh, w- was it was a passenger was it was a ghost a littler. he sort of needs the service in order to uh, help or there were actually moments where Halland was doing what he does when he's not actually able to score. Dra- he was occupying like sometimes being double marked even triple marked at times what does that do create space for everyone else it's the onus and the burden send on everyone else to find the space that holland's created we just didn't do that um the midfield was also very congested i've spoken about the lack of creativity on the right part that's that's partly due to the focus on the left it's partly due to the fact that walker is a right back even though he's been really good at uh, right wing this season he's still not really a uh, a right winger not not in that creative sense anyway he's not you know, he's not a bernardo silva sort of player Um, but the midfield was also really congested and we were far too narrow at times. And I don't really know why. The substitution confused me. Nunes coming off, Oscar Bob coming on. At halftime, I really thought that the play would have been take off Alvarez, bring on Bob. I did want to see Bob on the pitch because I say Alvarez wasn't really contributing anything to the midfield. But as I say, he took off Nunes. We sort of went to like almost like a, a diamond where Kovacic like dropped to the six. And then ahead, and then ahead, the midfield three ahead of Kovačić was Bob, Foden, Alvarez. It was just far too congested, and you had all these players occupying the same spaces that they all wanted to be in, and it made it so easy for Wolves because they knew where the players were. They could just see and then go right. Well, they're all just in the same area, so let's just uh, be, be even more narrow and compact in those areas, and we'll and we'll really prevent uh, the chance creation, and, and we'll prevent the goal the goals from coming. And that's exactly what happened. And you add into that the ineffective wing play from uh, Walker, who isn't a right winger. You add into it, uh, you add the ineffective wing play from Doku, uh, caused by the uh, Ake situation, and also the fact that just Doku didn't have a, a great game. And it all adds up and it all builds into this lack of creativity from Man City and the fact that for the first Premier League game of the season, we didn't create one big chance. Um, so all, all of that combined, and then, and then you consider the personnel issues, and you consider the questionable refereeing issues, and you even consider the the look not really going our way uh, with, with the two Diaz, the deflections and blocks. And it just, for me, it's not ideal to lose, obviously, but I, this for me is a blip and is a perfect storm of mitigating circumstances, to be honest. Are there some players who should be should step up and do more? Obviously, I expect more from Foden, who's been unbelievable this season. You know, I, I expect more from Kovacic, I expect more from Nunes, I expect more from Ake. The team that we put out still should have done better and still should have won. No disrespect to the Wolves, but that team was still better. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to listen to or be party to this notion of this is a re- this is a you know a ter- terrible indicator of what's to come for the remainder of this season. City will be fine, we will be fine, especially when our players come back. It, it, as I say, I, I just can't think of a better way to describe it other than it being a perfect storm of mitigating circumstances, coupled with the poor performance overall. I think a nil-nil draw probably would have been the fairest result here. I don't think Wolves were that great. We obviously weren't that great. As I say, I think, I think a draw probably 0-0 would, would have been the absolute fairest reflection uh, of the game. But but that's what it is. And uh, sadly, it's City's first uh, Premier League loss of the season in a game that you know, realistically we should be winning. But it's not uh, the end of the world and those players will be back uh, to full fitness. And just one one last thing on the, on the Pep substitutions, which I didn't understand as well. I don't know why Phillips is being brought on I know Kovacic was on the yellow. I know he wasn't playing well. What is Calvin Phillips going to offer this team? Literally nothing. He tried a couple of long shots, fair play to him, but they were never really threatening uh, uh, Wolves, to be honest. And on long shots, this is another, I think, another thing which Rodri's absence it uh, is uh, demonstrating, exemplifying We've spoken about the Kovacic issue already. If Rodri's there, then he's he's not going to panic. Do you know what I mean? He's not he's not going to try to overly progress like Kovacic did. So that that's the first thing. His, his diagonal switches are, are also gorgeous. We've seen Rodri a couple a couple of times, you know, as a playmaker almost this season, doing that. That's something that was absent there. But what's also absent, and what, obviously what's also absent without the Bruyne on the pitch, is that City against Wolves. That City side lack a long shot threat. There is no player I associate with being able to, you know, uh, outside of like a free kick from Alvarez, whatever, being able to just pick it up from like 30 yards uh, or, you know, or outside the box, run onto it and bam, goal. You know, a ball strike from outside the box and being in those positions as well. That's what, that's a threat that De Bruyne are offered and obviously will offer when he comes back. But, that's also what Rodri offers. I feel like that's an incredibly underrated asset of Rodri's, and it's not just the goal scoring that that provides. Because when you're up against a really deep block like Wolves, sometimes you just need to whack it in from distance, and in, in which case you need your most, uh, you need your best ball strikers for for that strategy to work. But what it also does is it lets the opposition know that. Oh wow! There's a really good, there's a really good long shot specialist on the ball right now. We've got to close him down now because they can't risk not closing him down because otherwise, you know, Rodri might score. What does that do? It's a similar thing to the Holland situation. It creates space elsewhere. If you then, if you are dragging a Wolves midfielder or a Wolves defender to Rodri because they know that it looks like he's lining up to shoot and you know that could very well go in the back of the net. It means that Rodri can then pick out a pass to someone else in in the space that's been vacated. And that's how other chances can be created. That's how space is um, exploited and opened up. So the fact that we also weren't even able to rely on on that uh, as a method of chance creation and goal scoring is another um, issue that comes with Rodri's absence. Um, We're obviously playing Arsenal next in the... Uh, Premier League, and it, thankfully, it's the last game of Rodri's suspension. Bernardo Silva and John Stones are back in training. If Bernardo is fit and able to, John uh, Bernardo Silva must start. Um, I, I think that we we saw you know glimpses of it last season, like Rodri and Bernardo Silva in that sort of you know, double pivot, whatever you want to call it. Bernardo Silva is such a ta- a, a, a tactically intelligent footballer he can play basically anywhere on the pitch and that is one of the positions he's very good at doing uh, that that's that, you know that that deeper uh, role next next to Rodri i really like the idea of a bernardo silva and nunes pairing um i don't uh, we, we've we've seen that you know, Kovacic can get a little bit too excited it doesn't really know uh, f- from the, in the six area doesn't really know when to uh, w- when's the right uh, time to progress it when's the right time to carry it when's the right time to uh, control and slow things down. Bernardo Silva knows exactly how to do that. I think paired with I, I don't I don't know if I like the, the the pairing of Bernardo and Kovacic. I don't think there's enough differences in the game there. But with Bernardo and Nunes, I do I do think that there potentially is you know a, a, a better suited pairing of profiles there. If Bernardo fits, I think that he should be starting against Arsenal uh, with, with Nunes if possible. No point in rushing back John Stones, who is you know, having an injury prone season clearly. But if you're an Arsenal fan, you've got to be thinking that this is the you're not going to have a better chance to beat City. And realistically, we can talk about you know how you know Arsenal bottled it last season towards the end, and that's why they lost the, the, the title. But they also lost it because they lost to City twice. And I think com- that with that comes the inferiority complex. If you want to beat City to the title, we've seen it with Liverpool as well. Klopp's Liverpool. The reason why they didn't win the title, they, they didn't beat us. I don't think they beat us once in the Premier League in. These in the in the, uh, in the uh, eighteen nineteen season, or in the 21-22 tw- uh, season, when you know, when it was a title race between City and Liverpool, though you know that went to the the, the last day uh, of the season. So you've you basically got to beat City if, if you want to actually uh, t- take the title in an actual title race. So it's a massive game, and there's not going to be any Rodri. There's not going to be any Kevin De Bruyne. There's obviously no Gundogan. Um, Bernardo Silva might not be fully fit. John Stones won't be fully fit. You will not have a better opportunity, and you're at home, you will not have a better opportunity to beat City. Also coming off uh, 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 two defeats on the bounce as well. I would be more than happy with a point, to be honest with you. I don't think Pep will go there to play for a point. I see us playing the same way we played against Arsenal last season, where we basically bypassed their press entirely by playing long passes up to Hall and. Who then um, his hold up play was unreal that game, and they just played it off to runners like like Kevin De Bruyne. That that will be you know the Alvarez. That will be the Foden against Arsenal. So there's no reason why we can't go there, play that same way. If we you know, if we get a point, we get a point. If we get a win, we get a win. But there's no reason why we can't do that. But yeah, if you're an Arsenal fan, you've got to be thinking this this has got to be the chance that we take. Surely we you know we're undefeated in the league. All the issues going on at City right now, given their uh, injuries and suspensions. And the, the, the past two performances, we've got, got to go for it. Um, so, yeah, I, I am worried, to be honest. But it's at least it's early enough in the season. And echoing back to the starters podcast, where I said this midfield crisis is a short-term issue. After the Arsenal game, Rodri will be back. And that is going to be massive for City. For, for many reasons. It's a long-shot threat. The fact that, it, you know, with Calvin Phillips, not, not an option. he's our only real six. Uh, at the club and he's obviously with De Bruyne out he's our best midfielder and you could even make a case to say he's our uh, best player so uh, him being back will be literally priceless I think that's everything I want to discuss on the uh, two city games Um, we'll obviously be talking about the Arsenal game uh, and uh, touching on the Leipzig game next week uh, but yeah three points dropped really annoying but I do think there's been a massive overreaction. Mitigating circumstances are a thing. We will be fine in the long term. Who might not be fine in the long term, however, is Manchester United. Now, this is obviously where I'd like to get Gasky's thoughts on on the games, but he's not here. Uh, uh, if, if you're if you're watching on the YouTube, you will be able to see a visual a visual representation of Gasky. It's an uncanny resemblance the uh, picture that I've got off of him. <laughs> so, if you want to see uh, a. <laughs> If you want to see what what I've done, uh, then head over to the YouTube uh, channel, uh, the Knobcast YouTube channel. Um, I'm not really going to talk too much about the League Cup game, which I know if you're a United fan, you'll be like, "Oh, but we actually won that game and played that well." I'm um, in the same way that I'm not going to give much credence to the City Newcastle game in the League Cup. That both both United and Palace were rotating. You know, Eze didn't start for Palace, for example. It's a lesser competition. I know they played well, great stuff, but. I think that performance has been very overhyped and and really the context of the League Cup should be uh, addressed. So well done for winning the League Cup. If I was a United fan, I don't even know if I'd classify it as a game of note, to be honest. The main match that I also want to talk about is the loss against Crystal Palace, which is a game of note. It is a Premier League game. The title of this podcast is about the real weak link at Manchester United. There's been a lot of discourse about who that weak link is or who those weak links are. Lots of people are trying to say Rashford is an issue. It's not perfect, but he's often not the main issue at United. Uh, Lindelof is a massive issue. I, I don't know what he was doing for the goal for Crystal Palace. Um, Palace had a free kick ball in. Lindelof's got his man before the ball comes in. Just ends up losing him. Just like ends up getting like shrugged off. He, he's too physically weak. He is not good enough. But you expect. But to be fair, I think you sort of expect him to be not good enough. He is like the third choice centre half. If everyone's fit, he's not playing. I thought Amrabat looked good. He um, kept giving away silly fouls, but apart, but I, I did think that he was um, really good on the ball, especially. For the most part, looked really calm and collected with the ball. Maybe less so without. But I think he's at. He's going to be a really good signing for United. Varane is. Uh, Varan was fantastic uh, defensively. There, are, I do still have question marks about his, uh, you know, uh, ability on the ball. But as an actual pure defender, he is really, really solid and really good. Um, Casemiro is a problem, and I think that he's the a real weak link at Man United. He was so good last season. And even then, he was a liability against sentoff all the time. But he he was he had a really good first season. But already, I've not I, I, I've not seen that many games where he's played well. I know he's got some goal contributions. That, that's nice. That's good. But overall, his play has been poor, has been poor. Talk about liabilities. If I was a United fan, I would, I might actually despise Casemiro, to be honest, because he was on a yellow card for the for the majority of. Of that game, the majority of it picks up in the first half, and you wouldn't you wouldn't think that he knew he was on a yellow card. The amount of fouls he gave, there is no world in which Casemiro should have still been on the pitch. I think I counted, uh, you know, when I rewatched the full ninety, I think I counted four, maybe even five fouls that Casemiro uh, did after the yellow card. Just from a totting up point of view alone, he should have been sent off. I, I don't really know what he thinks he's doing. He's, and that's just off the ball. Where he's too much of a liability and too keen to get himself sent off, it seems. Even with the ball, he's the exact opposite of his high standards. He's the exact opposite of Rodri in that he is seemingly incapable of operating under any genuine pressure or when his bar, his back is to, his back is to the play. So when he's facing the ball, so when he's receiving the ball with his back to the opposition, and it's basically you know you know for a fact what you should know as a defensive midfielder, you're probably going to be getting pressed from somewhere. He just can't, he just he just can't handle that pressure. He just can't do it, evidently. And that and that really that really hinders United's build up because if you can't rely on your defensive midfielder to take it in those tight spaces and to turn and then move the ball forwards and then and then connect it to your uh, more offensive. In minor midfielders in your attack, you are screwed, basically. It's it's what Rodri is so good at. It's what Busquets was so good at. It's what the absolute elite defensive midfielders do so well. That's their game. Casemiro seemingly cannot do this. And, you know, Gasky's talked about, oh, you, know, you know, when Amrabat comes, maybe that'll help him out. I know Amrabat wasn't you know, strictly playing in midfield, absolutely, but he was on the pitch and it's, it's the same issues are happening. So off the ball, he's a liability. On the ball, he's a liability. I'm not just forgetting how good he was last season because he was good last season, but you might even make an argument to say that he was a bit protected last season uh, based on like the, the difference in play style. If United want to evolve, he's not the man to uh, carry them forward, in, in my opinion. Uh, he obviously wasn't the main issue. touched on the Lindelof uh, situation uh, and how and how weak he was. Again, I s- sort of half understand that he's, he's you know third, fourth choice, whatever. We need to get Martinez back as soon as possible, but he's got he's had recently had surgery again, so he might be out for a, another month or two. So it's, I think it's going to get worse for United before it gets better. To be honest, until those players come back, Mason Matt, I thought was really good. Um, I, th- I thought I thought I thought he was really good. He was fantastic at linking play, created a couple of really good chances. Um, with 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 his first touch play, I, yeah, I I was really impressed with Mason Mount. To be honest, Rashford is not a problem. Absolutely, however, too uh, similar with the City situation. Too much of the play was forced down Liverpool's Liverpool's down uh, United's left hand side. Palestry was a, a shadow for most of that game, through no fault of his own. By the way, when he got the ball, thought I thought he looked all right. But he just wasn't being found by, um, by by United. Now, whether that's by design because you know that you're main threat, I don't know. But it meant United were so predictable because you know nearly every single time they're going to go down their left hand side. So all you've got to do is get more bodies over on your right hand side, and it's much easier to defend against them. You need that variety, really. You need both both wings to be uh, contributing and. It was too, it was too forced down the left, and Rashford didn't have a great game. He he was substituted. Uh, I, th- I think there was maybe one one decent cross they put in, maybe two. But apart from that, like his uh his 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 dribbling wasn't great. His decision making was confusing. He should have passed when he shot, and should have shot when he was passing. He kept trying these Hollywood eye of the needle uh, you know uh, uh, passes, which were just never going to work. Uh, he, he's not got that quality to do that, so I don't really know why he's trying to do that. Maybe he's, you know, taking the instruction of I need to try to pass more when I get to those positions. But if the pass isn't on, the pass isn't on. So that's definitely some decision making that he needs to improve upon. Um Hoyland looked, you know, busy again. Uh, his hold up play was fine, but he, he's feeding off scraps. It's, it's pretty tricky for him. Uh, uh, Palestry is fine, but I mean that that right wing is a problem for United because as good a player as Pelestri is for a youth player, he is a youth player at the end of the day. And I was thinking about it today. When was the last time United had a a, a success at right wing? I can't think of a player since Ronaldo. I'm, I'm not counting Antonio Valencia as a, as a success. By the way. You know, that, that guy was moved to right back later in his career. Um, and he, he was only fine. He was he was never this great player. He he was sort of like a seven out of ten most weeks. He was never a great player. Why can't United just go and get and sort out that problem? And as I said, I was thinking about it today. What would that be like? Nearly 15 years since they've had a truly great right winger. If if you want to say, I mean, I don't think Rashford's truly great, but you know, if, if we're sort of like saying, you know, Rashford's standard of play, when was the last time they had a, a right winger of that quality? I don't think they have. Um, Mata, no, uh, not not United. Valencia, I've discussed, no, not really. Uh, Di Maria was there for one season. I think he played more in midfield. To be fair, so so no. San um, Sancho, in theory, was supposed to be that guy. That obviously hasn't happened. Anthony was, you know, in theory, supposed to be that guy. That hasn't quite happened yet. It uh, might never happen. So it's, it's it's a big issue for United, and I don't really, and that's not going to be solved by popping Rashford onto the right wing. By the way, like that that that's what uh, Ten Hag did. So like the the. Uh, so the last 10 minutes, Rashford was on the pitch, Garnaccio brought on, Rashford shoved over to the right. I can't think of one thing Rashford did when he just popped over to the right because he just can't play there. So, yeah, uh, big issues at United and I don't think it's going to get better before it will get worse. I think that they've just got to fundamentally get back to, uh, they've got to get their best their squad back for it to not be uh, a disaster for the upcoming Games they do have. If memory serves, they do have a really favorable quote easy run right now. But in theory, a home against Palace was an easy game. So I don't know if it's going to get immediately better. Something has to change. Uh, Players have to be more switched on. United need to be less predictable. These are all these are all the short term things. And in the long term, they do need a a proper option at right wing. Or Anthony has to significantly improve. The Jaden Sancho experiment has failed, obviously. So yeah, not, not good, uh, not a good week for City or United, uh, but I now want to get into some Patreon supporter questions. Thank you so much for supporting on the Patreon, by the way, Um to all my, be- to all our beautiful uh, supporters. If you would like to support the Patreon, the link will be in the show notes um, of the podcast for you to peruse. It's £3 a month if you would like to Contribute to the podcast and get uh, podcast perks. I think it's just, uh, I asked the question very late, so I think it's just uh, uh, one question for today, which is from Will. It says, should there be a performance evaluator for refs? And if they don't pass the level required over a season, they get the slack, sack slash demoted to a lower league. This obviously comes in the, uh, in the light of the... Controversy with the Liverpool Spurs game, which could have been a podcast in, in its own on its own. To be honest, there absolutely should be. There definitely needs to be more accountability for uh, managers. Uh, that they, they see uh, managers, referees, they are a very overprotected breed. It seems sort of like goalkeepers. They're, they're very very overprotected. You can't even uh, you know uh, you know j- joke about having you know uh, the referee being against you and playing against twelve men. Or, or the performance being terrible without be risk of a fine. So I feel like this is a street that goes both ways. This isn't this? Isn't a, this? Shouldn't isn't and shouldn't be a one-way street? Um, absolutely. that there, there should be consequences. Uh, there should be ramifications for if you make a massive, a, a terrible uh, clangor and an error. Uh, if you are terrible over and over and over again in an office job, are you going to just? continue in that job uh if you're at a competent organization or are you going to be reprimanded are you going to be demoted are you going to be sacked so there definitely does need to be a system. i I like i like that idea uh from will you could have like sort of like a a i don't know how it works for you could have sort of like a a league where you know the referees are like evaluated and then uh you know if you continually do poorly and for var as well you continually do poor over and over and over again, and you keep getting your, like five out of 10s or whatever, but there's something in the championship getting your, like nines and 10s out of 10, that sort of thing, And why not experiment with doing that? I, I think that would be uh, a good idea. And just as a, as a general overall point, there should be more accountability for uh, referees and staggered that clubs have to request audio for VAR. Why isn't that just released immediately? Why can't I just press the red button on sky and i get to hear the conversation why, why can't i you, you know what i mean why, why can't i uh press a button and be taken straight to the var room and if i want if i'm a weirdo and i want to watch all of the refereeing situation why can't i you know listen to all of it as as it happens that sort of thing um this this weird thing of you know oh well every month we're going to be reviewing the the uh, decisions and I'm releasing the VAR. It's like well no just release it oh now what what's stopping you? You're, you're all professionals. Um, you're all being paid you know, many thousands of pounds uh, that you shouldn't you shouldn't have anything to hide um, apart from your incompetence. So, and I think if anything that that would make them more competent because they will know that there is nowhere to hide and they will know that people will be listening to them. Um, you know, if like, if, like, if like a commentator, you know, a commentator's not like, you know, live all, all the time, aren't they, in the game? So why can't it be a similar thing with the uh, VAR, if, as I say, if, if you want that option or whatever? Well, that's my thoughts on it. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this podcast. Re- <laughs> Hopefully it was an enjoyable listen. Um, this is the first ever solo one. So a really weird situation. But if you really, en- if you did enjoy it, uh, I-, I am normally joined by Gaskew and Man United co-host so do make sure to follow uh the podcast uh, so you can also stay updated for whenever we release our podcast as i say hopefully i did okay as a solo host um i didn't know where to look because normally i'm looking to eyes because he's obviously not here so i found it really really hard to um <laughs> to just talk like um without like looking at Gasky. but there we go Uh, thank you so much for listening. Really hope you enjoyed it. If you did make sure to follow the podcast. So you all stay updated. If you would like to go the extra mile, then you can support the channel, uh, the podcast, sorry, on Patreon for as little as three pounds a month. The link will be in the show notes of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next time. Goodbye guys.